to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 32 for February 17th, 2011. Yeah, so this is number nine of our post-motion uh, picture era series. Cool. So we are going to be reviewing comic strip number 11, which is not titled, but it's kind of a continuation of last week's... Name Quarantine. Yeah, last week's was Quarantine. Right. Uh, and we're going to do Marvel's Untold Voyages number three. Yes. So Featuring Dr. McCoy. Yeah, got it. Two two pretty good stories, I think. Yes, they're pretty good. Yep. Probably some of the better ones we've had in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not to go overboard with this being all gold, but yeah. Yeah, it is pretty good. Captain, I'm picking up a message. Put it on audio, Lieutenant Uhura. So we have been fortunate enough to get some fan mail recently at uh, startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Which we're very excited about. Yeah, it's really cool to see that people are actually listening to us and enjoying the show. Uh, I've been able to keep up with most of it through uh, emails, uh, talking back and forth. Uh, But we did get one interesting email that I wanted to bring up because uh, he mentioned a mistake that we had in uh, episode number 30 just a couple weeks back. Uh, In that one, we were reviewing Marvel Comics number 9, and we were making fun of a piece of technology called the Trans-Tater. Which just sounded like it was just made up. Of course. By by, by the writers of the comic book. Right. And Spock stated it was the basis of all Federation technology, which we made lots of jokes about. So a listener named Brian uh, wrote us and says that uh, while he was listening to our show, he was laughing along with us at the ridiculousness of Trans-Tater. But uh, he was watching an episode of the original series called A Piece of the Action, and he snapped awake when he heard Kirk say that they'll find out how the Trans-Tater works. And then Spock replies, the Trans-Tater is the basis of every important piece of equipment we have. Yes. So here's an example of how one of our loyal viewers catches us on our uh, mistake. That's good. Keeps us on our toes. Yeah, so... Uh, and, and even with the encyclopedic memory that between the two of us we, we have at our command, uh, there are some things we uh, screw up on. So, Right. Which a lot of times we catch and I keep into the, the recordings uh, just because I think it's funny that uh, we're sometimes not always right. But this one I thought was good because he actually called us out on it and uh, we didn't catch it ourselves. Yes. So, Thank you very much. Good. Thank you. Good job, Brian. Thank you, and keep up the emails. It's... All right, so in saying that, shall we just jump straight into it again? Please, let's. All right, so comic strip number 11. Uh, this came out October 28th, 1981 to February 28th, 1982. So this was a pretty long one. Uh, again, it wasn't, it wasn't titled because I don't know if it's really supposed to be a story on its own or just a continuation of Quarantine. 
Um, the writer was Charmin Devano, and the artist was Ron Harris. So starts off with the Enterprise. Uh, starts off right after quarantine. So the Enterprise is in pursuit of the Klingon cruiser. They are wanting to explain what happened on Sarsithia, and basically prevent an all-out war with the Klingon Empire. They end up tracking the warship to the demolished remains of the fourth planet in the Vulpicula system, or Vulpicula 12 system. So, much like Alderaan did in Star Wars, the, there's, this planet here was completely demolished a long, long time ago. So, in the rubble, uh, their sensors are not working due to some sort of radiation uh, and the Klingons are able to surprise them and cause some major damage to the Enterprise's sensors before they warp away. Scotty is able to complete the repairs in just one hour, and the Enterprise continues to follow the Klingons' warp trail. They eventually end up at another asteroid belt. So the last one was the remnants of a planet. This is actually an asteroid belt. Uh, and they find an old-style probe that's issuing an SOS from the planet is Kona. Uh, so they basically ignore the probe for now and keep looking for the Klingon cruiser and they eventually find it uh, completely dead, uh, devoid of all life, uh, just floating there in the, uh, in the asteroid belt. So then they calculate that the probe must have passed through or close to the Klingon ship shortly before uh, they arrived. So they decide to head to the planet of origin of the probe to see if they can find out any more information on the Klingon's death. So as they're traveling to Iskona, they're attacked by several automated gun turrets. Uh, these these turrets are shooting some old-style weapons that are um, uh, they don't hurt the Enterprise due to the shields at all, so they assume that they were able to take out the Klingon ship due to the Klingon ship's shields being damaged, I guess from the Sarsithian attack earlier. So eventually the Enterprise gets tired of taking these uh, little pot shots and they actually just destroy some of the, the asteroids and, and s start heading back to the planet. Uh, eventually uh, Klingons actually contact Kirk. So they're actually on the planet. Uh, they, they talk to Kirk. Kirk says he wants to explain the, the misunderstanding on Sarsithia and the Klingons uh, invite them to go ahead and beam down. So we get Kirk, Spock, and Uhura, Sulu, and a couple of security guys beam over. And as soon as they arrive, they're attacked by robots. And they also see that the Klingons that they just spoke to on the communicator are actually trapped inside these vats of liquid. Uh, the attacking robots are able to gas the Enterprise crew into submission, and they throw them into a cell. Uh, this gives the robots time to work on the Klingons. So Kirk and company eventually wake up and they overpower a guard droid that was coming in to check on them, and they make their way into a place called the Hall of Science, thanks to Spock's display of superhuman strength. I mean, he's actually able to just beat a robot to submission using only his bare hands in a very uh, superhero-like fashion. Uh, once they get to the hall, they find that there's a human bound to a table that's about to get experimented on, and then they then they're actually attacked by the Klingons who have all who've been Borgified. And when I say Borgified, they actually look just like the Borg from Star Trek the Next Generation. Which is that we'll a verb? Talk... Yeah, Borgified. I, I looked it up in Webster's. It's there. It's there. It's there. Oh sorry, go ahead. <laughs> nah, so we'll we'll talk about that later, but uh just so that you have the visual, they're very Borg like. 
so through Kirk's power of debate, he's able to eventually break through uh, the Klingon captain's reprogramming. Uh, the Klingon then sacrifices himself uh, to basically destroy the robotic his robotic captures, and in in a way, he actually destroys the whole building that they're in. Luckily, the crew and the human captive that uh, they they found earlier were able to escape. Uh, Spock was able to take some components with him that he's going to try to uh, create a uh, makeshift communication device to contact the Enterprise. So speaking of the Enterprise, uh, Scotty and Chekhov start to prepare a second away mission or away team to search for Kirk's party. Uh, the new landing party will be led by a Lieutenant Latham, who will be important later. Back on the planet, Kirk makes introductions to Harry, which was the guy that was uh, that they had freed from the uh, experimentation t- table. Uh, Harry takes them to his resistance group, which is led by the exotic Lyra. And Lyra is very similar to the Borg Queen. Uh, in place of hair, she has all these robotic tubes and cables. Um, they mention quite often that she's quite beautiful, um, and this is actually mentioned by not only Captain Kirk, but in a surprise move, Ahura seems to think she's quite fetching herself. Lyra informs us of the backstory of the planet. So generations ago, a human colony, uh, not an Earth human colony, but a colony of humanoids that looked very much like humans uh, settled on the planet. Eventually, the computer that they had built called uh, the Omni Mind, uh, which was originally designed to protect and guide the humans, uh, started to basically take over and try to control them. And this is a very Terminator Matrix type move on the computer's part. So the computer eventually goes as far as trying to experiment on the humans to try to. Pre- to create the perfect species. So examples of these uh, experiments was is Lyra and uh, the Borg Klingons that we saw earlier. Along with, uh, we'll see later, some genetic tinkering as well. So it's not just mechanical. So Lieutenant Latham and her security team go ahead and beam down to the planet and start the search. Uh, just as Spock and Sulu are able to complete their makeshift communicator, they contact Scotty, they give him their whereabouts and they request a beam down of supplies and weapons. Uh, as Lieutenant Latham is on her way to reconnect with Kirk's team, uh, she is attacked by robots and captured. Once Kirk learns that uh, they were captured, uh, he gets Lyra to help guide them through the sewers to the main control building. On their way, they're attacked by an old, some older versions of the, the Borg-type looking people, and these guys are basically like cyborg zombies. So she actually says that the, the human part of them is dead, and they're just being animated by the robotic parts, which I thought was actually kind of cool. All the while, while they're making their way through the sewer, the uh, computer mastermind is performing uh, its perfection process on Lieutenant Latham. Uh, they eventually make it to the... Um, control center and they're confronted by the perfect, and I'm using quotes here, perfect robot version of Latham. So she's now a complete robot, not a cyborg like Lyra is. Uh, So the robot Latham um, is now the Omni-Mind personified. So she is the Omni-Mind now. So Robo-Latham basically claims that the organic beings are now inferior and that they will be destroyed. 
And when Kirk hears that, he basically whips out his phaser and blasts her to scrap. Uh, the death of the Robo Latham Omnibind being uh, causes a problem with the computer, and a, a holographic representation of the true Omnibind appears. And he tells the the crew that the program that they've been fighting was really actually a watchdog program that was built to keep the true Omnimind safe from harm. Uh, however, the program was unexpectedly designed to fear death, and that is what caused it to start searching for a way to uh, create a being that would not die. So the Omnimind realizes his error, shuts himself down, shuts all the other robots on the planet down, and the humans are now able to recolonize and, and take back the planet. As Lyra is contemplating the future of her people, a pod opens and reveals the real Latham, who is alive and well. And that ends the story. Hmm. So, it was a little choppy. I mean, it was really long. This was, like, the longest one we've read so far. Yeah. But, uh, I, I really like the story. It might be my favorite one of all the comic strips so far. Huh. Yeah, I... I... I can't really think of what I like better, so I might be in the same position. Although there, it definitely did have some weaknesses. Uh, but overall, I, I, I like the zombie cyborg kind of things towards the end. That was kind of unexpected. Um, and the kind of uh, the, the kind of proto Borg kind of things that were uh, that were put forth. And the uh, <laughs> and the hot cyborg, of course, Kirk. Has yeah, interest but, in that? Why did Why did Ohura keep talking about it? I mean, she goes on and on about how beautiful she is and how she can't well, stop yeah. staring. I I didn't get that. I mean, I know she mentioned it at the beginning, but then she and then towards the end she mentioned how how Captain Kirk seems to be really taken with her. Right. But I didn't I mean other than tw so more than twice Ohura mentioned it. Well, because because it's serialized and they sometimes repeat oh. over and over again, it, right. it might have came across as more than once. But the end of one strip is repeated at the beginning of the next one, right? Right. But it, it did just seem like it was just odd that she just kept talking about how beautiful she was and how she couldn't keep her eyes off of her. Because I mean, at one point, Spock's like, "You should pay attention to your work," and she's like, "I just, she's just so beautiful." No. And I'm just, like, <laughs> it's just weird. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> Getting kind of racy. She is kind of. She is kind of cute. Yeah, yeah. They drew her cute, but man, I mean, her instead of hair, she's got this, um, this almost like uh, shrimp tail coming out of the back of her head. That's all metal and stuff. I don't know. That that would put me off right there. <laughs> but yeah, but 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 the face is completely human. The face itself. It isn't like she's got some weird uh, targeting eye coming out like the uh, like the Klingons do. Yeah, so this is actually what Ahura says when Spock tells her that she should start paying attention to their work. Oh, yeah, the she says, the Yes, Mr. Spock, I I'm no xenophobic, but I just can't stop staring. She's beautiful. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, I don't know, and then it seemed like she was actually kind of jealous that Kirk was what might be trying to pull the moves on her. I don't know. Oh, you got jealousy out of that? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, 
jealousy because uh, she's hot for the cyborg or jealousy because she's hot for the captain? See, I didn't know which way they were going. I mean, I'm assuming. Wow. I mean, Purp- pur- purposely writing ambiguity into it. Yes. Yeah. Well, but like I said, I, I, I thought she was quite attractive myself. But I always had a thing for the, the board queen, I always thought. Oh, really? Dude, t- 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 tell me more, Donovan. I don't know why, but I thought I always thought she was very, uh, very attractive. The, the Borg Queen with the tubes with the, and everything, man. With, with the frog skin, and <laughs> well, there's definitely a sensuality about her, but still, yeah, that, like, that that kind of slimy skin. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wow! I okay, different, different. Uh, let, let, let's change the conversation. Uh, well, I mean, she was made on purpose. That, that do... lucky data. <laughs> that, that didn't come quite come out quite as like it was supposed to, but <laughs> but you get the idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, she, she was she was designed to be revolting and beautiful at the same time, which I think is what they were going for with this character. That's all I was trying to say. That's all you're trying to say. That's all. Uh, I thought it was funny at the end. At, so the last, uh, the last frame on the comic, if I could jump to the end, is basically uh, uh, the chick, <laughs> the cyborg chick, who is who is who is uh, who's got her head on Kirk's manly pecs, as as Kirk <laughs> says, Kirk to Enterprise, you know, obviously ready to ask for the beam up. Be me, direct me, directly to my quarters. Yes. Which I find funny because, I mean, this is a pretty major thing that just happened. And in the one one panel, she's talking about how she feels so alone and how she's yes. going to, you know, how is she going to take care of this world? And then he's just like, Kirk Enterprise. <laughs> and before that, though, he says, that's not true. You're going to discover the common bond that all life forms have, Lyra. <laughs> Kirk to Enterprise. <laughs> Bring me up. It's bond time. All right. Anyways, That's funny. You know, since we're here at the end anyways, they 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 create the the perfect being which is 100% robot, which was kind of a twist uh-huh. that just happens to look like a human. Right. And and they just shoot it. Like one panel they meet her well, and the next yeah. panel he shot her to death and it's over. It was really anticlimactic, I thought. Well, not only anticlimactic, they solved it not because of Kirk using logic and his own amazing powers of uh, persuasion, although he does earlier in the story, but they just use violence. I mean, like, we didn't use our brains about anything. We just blasted the crap out of that. It's like, yeah, I, I don't like <laughs> when when they're able to just solve problems by uh, by using guns. Yeah, but, but did they even know that she was not... Um... Human, uh, not Latham, right? I don't know. I mean, they say I mean, she's she's not she human. didn't look. Oh, they say I mean, you know they they like it looks human. It looks like Marcia, but it's not human. But how how do they know that exactly? Well, they... I mean, obviously they have a. They, I mean, the shape is definitely her, and she's even got kind of a Starfleet uniform kind of thing on, but she's all silvery and kind of, you know, metal, all metal. Right, but I mean. Uh... I don't know. I, I took it Wait, that, that was so some like the sort human of... was actually in there. Well, they didn't know that for sure, did they? Well, I don't know. Well, j- j- just to not make it last forever, uh, 
He just made some some assumptions. It's right. like, come on. Oh, we know there's no human in there. <laughs> Fire. And then, of course, it turns out that Marsha Latham is turns out to be the uh, security guy. What was his name? U- Umer or Um? What? What's what's it? What is his name? Uh, the guy from the previous issue. Uh, Umeki. Yeah. Which I do. Okay, so that gets me to the point of I kind of like having a security guard that isn't there just to be shot. So, uh, you know, so that's kind of good. They have this Umeki as kind of a uh, a recurring character in the strip. Right. And maybe so I did, did kind of like that. Maybe Latham will be too. Maybe, and their boyfriend girlfriend apparently. Yeah, because when she comes out of the pod, she is naked. Naked, yes. Hey. But he he has no problem going yeah. down there and comforting her. Well. Because he, he's above that kind of stuff. Exactly. She just went through something very traumatic. He's not going to take advantage of that. Uh, no. He's a professional. I, right. <laughs> so, uh, but another thing is, it, so I'm kind of interested in in, in the a security character being brought to the forefront uh, as like one of the main characters, kind of, sort of. Because you never, I mean, I don't think we ever saw that before in, in track. Uh, I mean, it was very common, you know, Worf, Tasha, Tuvok, Malcolm Reed, I mean... Chekhov. You know, they're all... Uh, he, he was a navigator. Yeah. He wasn't security. Well, well, he was supposed to be security in the the movie era, but... And it's like, I don't remember him ever, like, leading a security detail or something. He was the weapons officer, it seemed like. <sighs> I thought he was the security <clears throat> officer. I mean, he's definitely the security officer in all these comics. In the comics, yes, but in the movies, I thought he just was like the weapons officer. Mm. I took it. Well, I mean, so is Worf. I mean, that's what Worf does when he's well, on the bridge. Yeah. Well, so he does. Yeah, and he does both, and that's cool. But I just never saw. I don't remember seeing Chekhov play a security role. You know, Ohura. I thought when they were getting ready to beam down uh, to the planet. And by the way, why was Ohura on the landing party anyway? I mean, they were going down to meet Klingons. What are you bringing a woman down there? Especially one who's not a security person, bring Yar down. Fine, why her? Don't get it. Anyway, but good point. When she makes a comment to Umeki, she says something in there that kind of makes it almost sound like she's kind of liking what she's seeing with Umeki. Oh yeah, where was that? I missed it. Uh, so like they're on the transporter pad, re- getting ready to go down, and then she sees Umeki's on the. Uh... But yeah, what if the Klingons make trouble? And then Uhura says, "I'm sure you can handle it." Umeki. Yes. Exactly. And he's like looking at all a sheepish grin. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can handle it. She's w- kind of. What do you mean to insinuate here? She's just, she is liking Umeki, and he's obviously has the thing for Latham. Maybe she just wants to break any happy couple up. <laughs> Umeki's with Latham. Oh, that's a good look. point. I want to steal you away from him. Kirk might be with Lyra. Let me steal her away from him. I mean, him ah. away from her. She's trying to. Uh... She's trying to exercise her womanly charms. I don't know. Maybe they just wanted her to be in I mean, she doesn't always have a lot to do in these stories, so maybe no, they she just doesn't. wanted to use her. It's 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 kinda like the Sigourney Weaver character in uh in Galaxy Quest. Right. I can't they never give me anything to do except talk to the computer. <laughs> so uh, uh real quick in regards to uh the planet that's was destroyed that they just came up to. Right. How did Kirk know that that planet was destroyed thousands of years ago? 
I don't know. They, I, I don't think they explained that. I mean, I mean what, was it like in the records or something? I don't know. Had they been there before? I don't well, know. Humans weren't flying around in space a thousand years ago, so I didn't understand how he knew that. Oh, well, I don't know. There might have been geological ways of or scientific scientific ciphering that might be able to uh, figure that out. Maybe. But, but did you see how well those those buildings? The were buildings? Built? Yes. I mean, I mean would, 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 wouldn't you imagine if there was enough force brought to bear to break up an entire planet that odds are the buildings on top would be you know ruffled around a little bit, right. and especially after a thousand years. You're right. Yeah. So I the, completely agree. Well, I mean, I guess if you're in space, except for like asteroids and stuff, there wouldn't be any like erosion or anything. So you're probably right. However, but picture yeah, this: the destruction of a the planet, planet destroying. <laughs> there are gonna be bits everywhere. Oh my god! I mean, I just mean, what, look at earthquakes and stuff. I mean, earthquakes exactly. are so small compared to the destruction of a whole planet. <clears throat> exactly. And there's gonna be lots of small police pieces from that planet breaking up. Which is probably going to pulverize things also, or at least has a chance of well, it anyway. Well, yeah, that plus, I mean, it's been a thousand years, and, and the planet yeah. was destroyed. You would think that over that amount of time, the gravity yeah. would actually be pulling all the pieces back together. Right. So it would kind of form another sphere or something. But oh, anyways, well, yeah, that, maybe, that's, but... that's neither here or there. I just thought that was funny, and, and a little maybe it's Star Wars-y, and that uh, you know, Alderaan blew up, and they flew around right. in the remnants of Alderaan, and then... Now the Enterprise is floating around in a another planet that was destroyed. Right. And then those turrets that show up in the asteroid belt look just like the Death Star turrets from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, what I, I missed this, but why did they decide to set up shop in an asteroid belt? Oh, the the original folks? I don't think it, it ever says. Yeah, so, yeah, so towards the end, you know, we get the whole backstory of that colony. It's like, what? Why did they decide to set up shop in an asteroid belt? Did it say? No, I don't think it did. Yeah, I didn't think so. I mean, that's okay. part of my point. Yeah. Just, I mean, why would you set up shop in an asteroid belt anyway? I mean, if there was the possibility of being on a planet that probably is not going to have, like, asteroids flying into each other all the time. Right. I don't know. Yeah, and how did the – I mean, the the machine robots don't seem to have space vehicles, so how did they get those turrets back up to the – Anyways. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they did. I mean, obviously, they were, they had a spaceship to get to the planet, so I guess the robots could have built new ones. I don't know. I just really did not like the whole idea of the guy, he programmed this Omni-Mind to help the humans, and then he programmed another program to watch over the first program, and then the first program kind of takes over and pushes the original program out of the way and then tries to create a, a utopia. Uh, it just seemed a little convoluted. I mean, I don't even know why you had to have that second part. Yeah. Uh, well, there were parts of this that seemed pretty convoluted, period. But, you know, nothing's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I really liked it up until the Kirk just blasts the robot and then the whole awakening of the of the real Omni-Mind. Yeah. And then it ends. It's very abrupt ending. It is. So, uh, did you notice that the... And, and this is a nitpick thing. Uh, on the November 17, 1981 comic strip, that they have Kirk and Spock talking, and Spock... And Spock is, is not there. 
the the outline of him is there. I mean, the outline of where he would be if he was drawn in. But yeah, yeah, it's missing. I, I tried to you know go online and find some actual newspapers from November seventeenth, nineteen eighty one, but right. I couldn't find any, and I wasn't going to go to the library and start pulling up microfish type stuff. Right. Wasn't quite worth it, but I'm wondering if just the scan that we had, something happened to the picture, or if that really went out in syndication and every newspaper had a headless spot. Uh, it's also possible, maybe, that that, um, that was only a mistake that was maybe in a local printing. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know, but it's definitely a mistake. <laughs> There's no way that can be uh, what they intended. No, of course not. But it did throw me at first. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, another thing that's a bit of a nitpick is how the hell did Sulu know that the cell door was a sonic lock? I mean, how do you... I mean, it, it's a door. I mean, how did... It, he says with such uh, such surety, this is, a solid, this is a sonic lock. Yeah, and what good did that even do? They still had to wait around Nothing. for the guard droids to show <laughs> he up. He still couldn't get it open. But at least it gave uh, Sulu a chance to say something. Yeah, he didn't have much to say. No. Yeah, what did you think about the whole they woke up from the gas like as soon as they get thrown in there? I mean, this same gas obviously knocked out the Klingons for a good long time. But but somehow humans are able and Vulcans are able to shake it off pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, they just said they must have miscalculated it. It's like, well, yeah, convenient. Very con- very convenient, I think. I think that's a good point. And then we get Super Spock, who just like <laughs> just pounds the crap out of that uh, droid. Well, isn't I mean that's the time when you're talking about when when he says you need you you don't want to grapple with his arms, you want to find his brain and destroy it. Right, and then he Is punches it, it yeah. once, and then the next shot shows him like the thing's destroyed. Well, they they just didn't. Build up the armor plating around the brain. Yeah, Mr. Spock's tremendous strength is put to use when the sudden in- entrance of a robot provides a chance for escape from the Iskonian Hall of Science. Yeah, now that's on the second one. Yeah. I mean, the first time they showed it, they had a little bit more going on where Umeki was grappling with the arms. Right. And then Spock says, Oh, no, no, Mr. Umeki. <laughs> You need to just find where the brain is and then deactivate it. So it was a little bit, the first time was a little bit more Spockian. Yeah. Or at least there was a little bit of thought behind it. Where, yeah, the second one was like, okay, we're just going to do this in one panel real quick. Right. So maybe I'm just, again, being a little little nitpicky. No, 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 no. That's, I mean, yeah. I, no, I, I agree with that one. But And, and I would have felt more like that if I hadn't seen what, what really happened in the more, in the bigger explanation in the previous strip right so all in all it was a good story uh, a little yeah. Terminator and Matrix I mean which those yep. came out after this so and again robots taking over humanity is not a new idea that's a that's very it goes all the way back to Metropolis that's I think it's before. so Metropolis wasn't the first one that had it was it it was one of the earliest examples of a robot but I mean there might have been uh, I don't know. What was it? Okay, I thought like an Eastern European novel or a uh, play or something coined the term robot. Oh yeah, I saw that. And it was a long time ago, but um, probably before Metropolis. Mm. But that's the first one I think of. 
she was hot too. <laughs> she was she was hot. She was hot. You like these you like these these robot things. I don't know. Anyway. Um I yeah, I have a question. I have a question, sir. It just seems like from the time that the Enterprise is blinded um uh, with that exploding magnesium asteroid or whatever, mm-hmm. um to the point that they catch up with uh, the, the the wrecked uh, Klingon battlecruiser, and then uh, finally come face to face with with the Klingons. I mean, the real Klingons. It didn't seem like all that much time passed. No, it would have so, been. I mean, probably a little over an hour because I mean they were only disabled for an hour. Yeah. So so did they? Did I miss it, or did they explain where all the Klingons went? I mean, didn't they actually mention? You know. They got a big crew. I think Kirk and Spock said something about them having like hundreds of yeah, people. Yeah, four hundred and eighty-five people. There you go. So, but all you see, unless I'm missing something, all you see is like like two or three Klingons. Uh, you know, Captain uh, Kolak and you know maybe a bridge officer or two. Right. Well, maybe the other guys are still. So what happened to the rest? Well, you would think that some of them would have died when the when the ship was attacked by those turrets. I mean, because the ship yeah, did have well, hull breaches, so that would have it had it had hull breaches. It looked like only in the front. At least that's all they showed you, anyway. Right. So, so the very front, the bulbous front, but the back section, which is a big portion of the ship, at least they didn't draw any damage that was obvious. I don't know. Yeah, it no, like people... it's a good point, and and I, mean, I just assumed that they were in vats, like like the the. The first ones were just, they hadn't been Borgified yet. (laughs) Borgified, yes. Uh, I like the phaser rifles uh, that the second security team came down with. Well, yeah, and they're Uh, wearing, like, armor, which we've never seen in Star Trek. So it's not like uh, the little, not the little, the huge environmental suit that that they wear. This is like like riot gear, almost, with the the shield on their face and everything. Yeah, it's it's an ex- it seems to be a, a further extension of of Umeki's outfit, but they do have helm they do have face coverings, right? But that face covering is part of their um, what their infrared system, right? So they thought they would have had an advantage going in, uh, like uh, like modern day uh, soldiers with uh, night vision. Yeah, but those those. Those rifles look a lot like the original rifles. Exactly. Oh, that, that's that, why you like. I, I was, I was going to bring. Yeah, that that was the other part of my uh, my comment on them. Um, they they look a, a lot like the one Kirk used in um, where No Matin has gone before. Yep. And, and I'm surprised how how similar they are. I mean, in certain from certain angles, I mean they look like not that much changed. Well. I'm sure the guy just drew the same ones. Yeah, I'm sure he did. It's just, uh, and, and they are a little different. It's just, uh, I mean, the hand phasers have have progressed over the years, and right. they look different. And I would have thought the rifles would little would look a little different. I'm not complaining because I love those those rifles. Yeah. Now, when they started attacking the uh, the robots, I kept waiting for them to say, uh, "Change your frequency." Nah, rotate your free, rotate your frequencies. Right. Yeah. That... Yeah, and I do think, and I do think, if they were such great uh, security detail that knew they were beaming down into trouble. I mean, even though even though Kirk told them to get out of there, it's like if you're backed into a corner, 
and you can't get out of there, I'd start blasting. But well, they do. They just they can't. Oh, it doesn't go through those. I mean, they're they're fighting tanks. Well, those are phaser rifles. I know, but you're fighting a tank with a Dalek-looking <laughs> nose. You can't, you can't fight that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I the, guess not. They have the little ball on the on the stock thing, like the Daleks do. Yep. Indeed, indeed. When they get attacked by the Klingon ship, and Kirk falls out of his chair and almost lands on that red-headed girl. Nah. He, oh wait, was that Kirk? Wait a minute. It's Kirk. Was that Kirk? Yes. Was that him? And he hits on her. Have we met? I know, but I didn't know that was Kirk. I mean, I thought the outfit was different. No, those are the blue pajamas of Admiralty. <laughs> oh, you're right. Maybe the it's blue... not. Okay. I don't think it's okay. You're right. It's yeah, because Kirk's got the white uniform on. I wonder if that is uh, Umeki, Umeki and she. Oh. Interesting. They don't say a thing about that. That could be Umeki. Yeah, and Latham does have red hair later, so that is probably her. Ha! Huh, good tie-in. Huh. Good point. And here I was thinking that it was a just a silly scene with Kirk. There you go. I think you. I think you have added yet another dimension of understanding. So now I like this story fine. even more. Even more. Even more. All right. Yeah, talk about somebody that didn't say much. Who, a Mickey? No, no, uh, McCoy. Oh, yeah, was he even in it? <laughs> he was in the very beginning, and that's it. How interesting, they didn't have McCoy in there. Hmm. Yeah. And they, just so, they show a shot of him um, on the bridge, at least I think it's on the bridge, and then you never see him again. Did he even say anything in that shot? I mean, his face is on it, but... Hmm. Yeah, he does say, this is sick bay, what's going on up there? I'm trying to operate. Operate? Who are you operating on? <laughs> I had the same note. <laughs> He's always operating on somebody, and there's only like 400 people on the whole ship. I mean, <laughs> he gets around to all of them. You know, it's a rotation. So you wonder, I mean, how many people are just getting unnecessary tummy tucks and rhinoplasty <laughs> and stuff just to keep McCoy busy? Exactly. Well, those Starfleet uniforms, <laughs> they don't leave a lot to... Uh... The imagination. Exactly. Uh, that's fine. Okay. All right. Shall we move on to the next? Yes, let's. Excellent. So, so this is Marvel's Star Trek Untold Voyages, issue number three, titled Past Imperfect. Uh, published uh, May 1998. Creative team is Glenn Greenberg, is the writer with a story, con- uh, with a story concept uh, by DC Fontana. Love her for many Star Trek stories. Uh, penciler is uh, Michael Collins. Inker is Keith Williams. Colors, Matt Webb. Letterer, Chris Elipolis. And and Virtual Calligraphy. I assume that's a company that, that did some of the lettering, too. It, do you know, Donovan? No. I okay. do not know. Sorry. Okay. It sounds like a company, obviously. Not yeah, a it does. Editor is Tim Tui. Editor-in-chief is Bob Harass. Okay. Uh, the cover shows Dr. McCoy, phaser in hand, and ready to use it against an unseen threat. Behind him and to the right, we see a gravestone with R.I.P. engraved into it. Behind and to the left, we see a decaying fence, and farther in the distance, the outline of a large building, probably part of a city. In the lower right, right hand, in capitalized font, is the text, The Past Comes to Haunt, Dr. McCoy. 
The first page is a handy synopsis of the Untold Voyages series with character descriptions. The second page brings er, er, uh, summarizes the last issue, uh, which uh, talks of Savic's origins and uh, the unexpected ability of a planet's indigenous animal life forms to not only be aware of a disastrous approaching asteroid, but to deflect it harmlessly away. Our story opens as a small ship approaches the land-based Starbase 11. A very worried and very cute lady is piloting the craft with a phaser held to her head by a shadowy second person. The pilot tells the shadow that he is on the planet. His ship entered the orbit several hours ago. On the ground, the shadow orders the pilot to program the autopilot to return the ship to their point of origin. After the landing and navigational programming, the shadow person kills the pilot in cold blood. The shadow leaves the small ship and strikes out for the starbase city, humming, The next page, page shows a single panel with the Enterprise in orbit with a small work pod with two robotic arms. Credits are shown in the ti- and the title, Past Imperfect, in a creepy kind of Monsters of Filmland or the Munsters font. McCoy's per- personal log sets the stage for the story, telling us that they have arrived at Starbase 11, where the crew will have a much-deserved shore leave. He himself will see his daughter, Joanna, whom he has not seen in three years, since before he returned to Starfleet. She has been able to get She's been able to get away from Earth to come and see her old man. The Enterprise transporter in the Enterprise transporter room, Dr. McCoy and Scott are preparing to beam down and making their final appeals to Spock to join them. Spock declines, and a very young-looking Chief Rand beams McCoy and Scott down. As the two enter the bar, where the father and daughter reunion will take place, the shadow recognizes McCoy and Scott and thinks he is finally here. Inside the rather large bar, Scotty spots Joanna first and says that McCoy's concerns over her being all alone in the strange bar waiting for them was unfounded. Scott leaves to find Chekhov, while McCoy joins, joins Joanna and a very young-looking James T. Kirk. Kirk and Joanna are getting along famously when McCoy walks up and she hugs her father in a very warm embrace. Kirk is tongue-tied over the realization the much younger girl he was putting the moves on is actually McCoy's daughter. Kirk offers her a tour of the Enterprise and she turns the, she turns the dinner for her and her dad into a dinner for three. During the dinner, the shadow watches them but does not recognize the girl. The shadow gets an idea how the girl can be used since she seems to mean something to both men. Kirk ends up alone with Joanna during a tour of the Enterprise and they have a romantic moment in an observation area with huge window and a starry background uh, built for two. Joanna arrives at her worried father's hotel room late. She apologizes, and McCoy warns her that getting involved with Kirk is not a good idea. She lashes out at McCoy, chiding him for playing daddy now after all those years of her life, 
that he was off with Starfleet, and she storms off. The next day, McCoy talks to Kirk and tells him to stay away from Joanna. Kirk says she is a grown woman who can make her own choices. The heated conversation ends when McCoy says Kirk would not understand how McCoy feels because he's not a father. Hurt, Kirk walks away alone. McCoy returns to Joanna's room to straighten things out with her. He finds her door blasted open and Starfleet security examining the wreck of a room. McCoy uses his communicator to tell Kirk he thinks Diana has been kidnapped. On the Enterprise, Spock is checking arrival and departure records within the past 48 hours in case Joanna has been taken off-world. He finds records of a shuttlecraft that landed outside of the starbase yesterday and took off this morning using improper departure protocols. The shuttle was being used by the Starfleet team assigned to study and help the population of the planet visited by the Enterprise in the original series episode titled Miri. That planet inhabited by only children, since all the parents had died off in a in a, dead, in a deadly plague. The uh, plague almost, almost claimed the lives of the Enterprise landing party until McCoy found a cure for the effects of the plague. At first, they explore the idea that Miri has something to do with this. Kirk rejects the idea, but they do land on the conclusion that Miri's unstable admirer, John, could have been capable of the abduction. Elsewhere, on the speeding shuttle, John explains who he is to the captive Joanna and how Dr. McCoy's cure has lost its positive effects on him and the other children. Miri, being the oldest, has died. So in return, John intends to kill Joanna and take away the one McCoy loves the way he loved Miri. John takes them down to the planet so Joanna can see what her father did and then die. On the planet before John and Joanna can enter the school where Miri died, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a security detail stop him and tell him to drop his weapon. John says he intends to kill Joanna and looks about to pull the phaser's trigger when McCoy takes the biggest gamble of his life and jumps for John. In his disease-weakened state, John is slow enough that a 60-plus-year-old McCoy is able to grab his gun and give him an uppercut that frees Joanna from his grip. Father and daughter have a heartfelt embrace. Later, McCoy sets up a hospital and research area in the old school building. He explains to Kirk that he assumed the original vaccine that cured the Enterprise humans would cure the children, too. Their, physiolog their physiology was just different enough that it was able to mutate, the disease was able to mutate into a version that no longer worked on the children. McCoy beats himself up over his mistake, then works on a real cure. Eventually, McCoy finds the permanent cure, and the children recover. The kids foolishly do not want grumps, grown-ups, on the planet anymore. After, their original, after the original disease their parents created, and McCoy's mistake that led to Miri's death. Kirk accepts their wishes, but before they leave, Joanna is able to make a strong enough bond with the no longer crazy John that he agrees to accept her and only her back on the planet in the future. She promises to return after she, after she completes her medical studies. 
McCoy ends the story on a downer, acknowledging the Starfleet personnel murdered by the Onlys, the children on the planet. He says Starfleet will eventually hold them responsible, but not until after they fully recover. Kirk spends a final moment at Miri's gravesite before beaming up. They leave orbit for Starbase 11. Oh, the end. So there you go. So this not only tied in McCoy's daughter, which I think was mentioned in the old show, but actually brought up, mentioned uh, an actual episode. And actually is a continuation of that episode. So this was a good one. It is a good one. Um, uh, it focused on McCoy, which is a character that doesn't get uh, the spotlight all that often. Um, and brought back... I thought I thought Miri was a good episode. Um, it wasn't one of my favorites when I was a kid. Oh, you mean but, the Children um, of the Corn episode? The Children of the Corn episode. Uh, yeah, the Children of the Corn. Um, it wasn't one of my favorite episodes growing up, but it was a good episode. And uh, it was kind of interesting uh, bringing that back into. Yeah, I'll agree that it it's not one of my favorite episodes either. Yeah. Um, I also like how how basically the ending was not uh, you know the story all gets tied up into a nice little bow, and they all have a little chuckle with each other, and they speed off to the next uh, the next thrill packed episode. Right. I'll, so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, a little bit more adult, uh, a, 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 a story, and then ending. Yeah, I was actually grumbling a little bit uh, before it ended, thinking that the kids were going to get get away scot free for killing all the Starfleet personnel there. Yeah, uh, but then people are just trying to help them, right? But then they do mention that they'll be brought to justice one day once they've had time to adjust. <clears throat> yeah, well, that John guy. I mean, they, they, they talk about how the sickness uh, was warping his thinking and that kind of stuff. And at the end, he's all, like, smiley and everything. Oh, yeah, Joanna. Um, uh, I think he's still a nutcase. But Well, he was not a nice guy in, in the episode. Not at all. I mean, he was, like, the uh, he was the uh, the loci. He was the, the villain kind of thing. Now, that, that little kid who played him, uh, his name? Michael J. Pollard. Yeah. They they did a really good job drawing him here. I thought they did, and and that and that may bring us up on, on a general comment. I think this was a, a very well drawn comic, except for Kirk. Well, okay, okay. So are you talking about how young he is, or what? From what standpoint, uh, or how young he appears? Yeah, how young he appears, and yeah. that outfit he's wearing. <laughs> oh, at the beginning, yeah. So, so I, I figured that must have been a civilian outfit, because it does not look Starfleet. It looks like a Wesley Crusher sweater. Oh, a Wesley! You may be right about that. Hmm. I mean, it's not exactly like it, but that's kind of what it looked like to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I'd have to compare that with. Uh... <sighs> so, are you saying it's like a Starfleet Academy? When he was in the Starfleet Academy, or just no, a no. One? When he was when he was doing the acting ins and stuff. Oh right, right, yeah. But anyways, I uh, I don't know. The artwork was okay. I I wasn't blown away with it. Well, it beats the hell out of half the stuff they did on Key uh, Gold Key, but <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> well, I mean, compared to the comic we just read. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I know. It, I mean, it's difficult to compare comics with 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 a book, but right. No, uh, I agree. I it's it's good. good. Yeah, but yeah, but I completely agree. I mean, in that picture where uh, where they've got um, Joanna and McCoy and Kirk, they're all going off to, have to dinner, dinner or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Kirk looks like. Kirk looks like he, I mean, he looks younger than, um, who's the guy that played, uh, Kirk in the movie, in the last movie? Oh, uh, Chris Pine? Pine. Chris Pine. Yeah. I mean, he looks younger and in better shape than Chris Pine. It's like, no. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and I just did not buy all that. I mean, this is Captain Kirk. He's supposedly really famous, uh... I mean, or at least they they build him up that he's famous even outside of Starfleet, uh, and she doesn't know who he is. I mean, he's her dad's best friend. Yeah. Uh, he's been her dad's captain for twenty something years now, or whatever it is. Right. And she never once saw a picture of him. So when he's there hitting on her at the <laughs> bar, she's like, "Hey, this creepy old man is my dad." <laughs> <laughs> exactly, creepy old man. Um, but I guess I, I guess Kirk's charms transcend uh, all ages. But that that page where he is like talking to her, yeah, and it you know has them setting face to face, and then there's like right below that is a, a close up of Kirk. Yeah, he looks like Decker to me. Oh yeah, right, Matt Decker. Yeah. So yeah, at first I wasn't sure if it was Kirk. At first I was like, oh, it kind of looks like Kirk in that first one, and then down there I'm like, oh no, that guy's way too young, and he looks kind of Matt Deckerish. Yeah. And then it's like Jim, and I'm like, "What?" Yeah, I I, w- I wasn't thinking he looked like Decker, but I was thinking that that was not Kirk. I just thought it was just some random guy that was trying to hit on her in the bar. Exactly. That's and what I was, was like, "Oh, Kirk? Wait a minute!" And like he has got just jet brown hair. I mean, there is no gray in this this head of hair at all. Yeah. No. It, like I said, I, I wasn't blown away with. <laughs> The way he was depicted in this, right? Yeah. But uh, the way that—that's uh, funny that you knew who Michael Pollard was. I looked it up. I didn't know it off the top of my head. Uh, I had to look that up, baby. Yeah. Uh, my favorite character that that Michael Pollard ever played was Mr. Mitzelpidlick in the Superboy TV series. Oh, you're kidding me! Uh, really? He was a pretty good Mr. Mitzelpidlick too. I don't even know who the hell Mr. Mitzel Picnic is. Okay, so it's a Superman, a recurring Superman villain? Right, he's this little imp guy that gives Superman a hard time, so he was in he was in Superboy. So, I've, I've never seen the Superboy TV series, so what was this? I mean, was this a short-lived TV uh, series? No, it lasted missed it four years. Oh, it was man. on, it was in syndication, and it was, you know, Pretty popular show for syndication in the late eighties. Late eighties, yeah, early nineties. Cool. Um, I think yeah. the first season and maybe two, first two seasons came out before uh, the Batman movie did, because yeah. the later two seasons they tried to get a little darker and more Batmanish. Right. But um, so it was about that time frame, and they actually canceled the Superboy TV series because ABC was wanting to do Lois and Clark. So. Oh. So, like, one year Superboy ended, and the next year Lois and Clark started. Yeah. So, so it, it's 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 a good show, but it's uh, probably more for people who really like Superman. Right. Which is this guy. 
which is this guy. There you go. So I did find it odd that uh, kind of interesting that McCoy says that it's been three years since V'ger. So it actually dates this this comic. Yep. So is there something wrong with the uh, with the chronology or? No, 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 nothing wrong. It's just that we've never kind of really got the time. Idea. We've never really got right. a time frame on any of these. So it was kind of right. cool that they like draw a line in the sand. This is three years after V'ger. Right. So I just thought that was kind of cool. And I like the whole Joanna being his daughter, bringing that in. As you remember in the real McCoy, that comic strip number three that we did a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Remember his in that one, McCoy's ex-wife was named Joanna. Do you remember that? Mm, I don't remember the name. But yeah, we we talked it was we talked about right. it that that in that in that comic strip, Joanna was the wife's name, and then in all the later expanded universe type stuff, they always have Joanna as being. McCoy's dad, uh, daughter. Daughter. So it was just kind of cool to see her in it, and they didn't like. I was really worried there towards then they were going to say Joanna McCoy was going to stay on on that planet and take care of the the little kids because she already that, had so yeah. much. She already had a little bit of med school behind her, and and I was going to not be happy with that because you know she does show up in other expanded universe stuff and she's not stuck on that planet. Right, but I thought they did. Yeah, and besides, yeah, and she at the beginning they they were saying how how she said she was kind of uh, between things and looking for something to sink her teeth into, get involved in again after leaving medical school. Yeah, and her failed relationship. Yes, and so she's just ready to dive right in with an old guy. Jump right and in, and she is. And she's pretty hot, especially towards the end. Or at least she's drawn pretty hot. Uh, towards the end of the comic strip, she's got a fine uh, shape on her. Oh, she's she's quite nice throughout the whole thing. Oh. Um, That's the advantage of being a cartoon. Right. You can look great. <laughs> exactly. Ask Kirk in this episode issue. He'll tell you. Exactly. He looks like he's half his, half the age <laughs> that, he's, that he was. He'll tell you the uh, benefits time of period. being a cartoon right there. <laughs> um, another thing I was kind of wondering about is, um, uh, speaking of uh, fathers and, and children, um, did McCoy not know about David, uh, Kirk's son? No, because I, I, well, McCoy, Kirk doesn't even know. No, 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 no. What? What? No, no, no. No, it, it, during... Uh, during Wrath of Khan, he says to uh, Doctor Marcus, "It's like I stayed away, like you wanted me to." I, 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 what I got from Wrath of Khan is um, that he knew about David, and I thought, although I'm not 100 percent sure, I'd have to re- re- rewatch the movie. I thought um, I had the impression that McCoy knew too, but. I could be wrong about that. It, it, that would make I mean if I misinterpreted that movie, that would make more sense about what happened here, where McCoy uh-huh. seems to know nothing about David. Well, if what you said was true, then it does make more sense as to why Kirk has that pained look on his face when McCoy says, "You don't have a son, or you don't have a child," and and Kirk kind of looks pained, and he just kind of walks off. Saying, yeah, you're right. 
So if Kirk did know and he just, I mean, I don't think he would, he wouldn't tell McCoy, hey, McCoy, I got a illegitimate son out there somewhere that I can't see. I mean, I could see how he might not tell people that. Yeah, well, there's two continuity possibilities. They completely ignored David, and Kirk was just thinking, um, yeah, I'm this old, and I don't have a child. What, what am I doing with my life, damn it? Uh, or or may it have been what you had just said. But I, 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 I had the impression that McCoy knew about David. But Huh. Well, I always got that neither, because I thought that Kirk says something like, why didn't you tell me, or something like that. But... But maybe you're right. Maybe I do remember the yeah. line. I stayed away like you asked me to, but I thought he also said, "Why didn't you tell me?" Well, maybe he was saying because I know David to stay away David. because she wanted she wanted him to stay away from her. That's possible. Huh. Now I have to go back and as opposed to staying away from David and her. Maybe she just wanted him to stay away from her. See, that's the way I always took it. Yeah. And and you know he did, so since he was staying away from her he didn't know about uh, David. David, right? Because I know David doesn't know anything about Kurt, or uh... doesn't know Kurt's dead. Man, do these guys even know what they're talking about? Uh, hi, this is Future Donovan. I'm editing this, and uh, I just got tired of hearing us going back and forth on whether or not uh, we thought Kirk knew that uh, David was his son. Uh, in hindsight, after we recorded this, we, we have found out that, yes, indeed, Kirk did know of David's existence. In fact, there's a great three-part comic book uh, series, uh, issue number 73 through 75 of the Star Trek Volume 2 by DC Comics, that goes into his relationship with Carol Marcus, uh, the birth of David, and then the uh, subsequent breakup. So uh, eventually we'll go around to re recording and reviewing those. Uh, but uh, So I just thought I would chime in and set the record straight, and now now return you to your regularly scheduled program. How about how about when they first get the fake transmission or get the transmission from from Chekhov who says um that the that the orders when Marcus asks where did the orders come from and Chekhov says uh he pauses and says from Admiral Kirk right um and then David reacts saying that oversized boy scout I thought he said something like you used to date, or yeah, I don't know. yeah. I think he knew that Carol and here his mom and and Kirk had it passed, but I don't think. He, oh, okay. He Didn't know it was Kirk his father. Was okay, well that's possible. Okay. That that's interesting. So it that does make sense why maybe that that line might have hit under the belt as far as Kirk is concerned because. If McCoy said, so, well, you don't have a son, and then in reality he knows that he did, but he can't tell anybody about it, that yeah. would be a little painful. Right. Huh. All right. And, of course, by the time this thing was written, I mean, obviously, Wrath of Khan had definitely happened. So that whole thread was known to the writers. Yeah, and known to the audience. Yep. Yep. Okay. Good point. Yeah, have have there been star bases before that were based on ground? I'm used to them being in space, you know, being space stations. 
Well, I think they have colonies and stuff, so... Well, colonies are not star bases. You're right. Yeah, I don't know. So, this is a, this is a star base, and it's on a planet, which uh, seemed to be a new thing to me. I would agree with you. Uh, they, they, McCoy makes an interesting point, and maybe maybe you know this more than I do, because I've never heard this before, but McCoy says that, you know, this virus mutated and caused another virus, or the antidote mutated and became another virus, uh, actually has a real-world uh, precedent. Analogy. Right, that how the precedent. AIDS virus supposedly mutated from a polio vaccine. I had never heard that before. That's the first time I ever heard that. Yeah, I looked it up after I read that, and, and it is a theory. Theory, yeah. But it, it's an unproven theory. But, uh, wow, that's... That was in that was different. Yeah, would wouldn't that be a kick in the face, kick in the head? <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, great. <laughs> well, the, thank you, thank you, nature. Well, the theory um, was that they because they they got the the polio vaccine from by using chimpanzee tissue to oh, to create the polio. So vaccine that's how it jumped into the human population. He, that was the theory, but like I said, I couldn't huh. find anything that said that that's true. Absolutely true or not? Hmm. Interesting. It is interesting, but yeah. And if it was true, do you think the authorities would want that public? <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, th- there's enough stuff, you know, crackpot things happening every once in a while. Ooh, uh, the flu vaccine is causing um, what, what's 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 that childhood uh, problem? Autism. Um, Autism. Yeah, That's well, it. everything. All the child vaccinations supposedly were causing autism. So don't yeah. get your kids vaccinated. Exactly. And, and, and then, and then uh, after that one doctor in Britain was bringing all those those charges saying that was true, I mean, supposedly, I mean, I'm not a doctor, and I don't see any of the see any of the, uh, the the proof for this one way or the other. But supposedly, they said very clearly that research that he based his statements on is bullshit. I mean, it's it's not that isn't it, but things like that get legs of their own, and people just start quoting that and accepting that as scripture. Right, and then uh, you get somebody when, like Jenny McCarthy or whatever that that now oh, puts right. a face to it. Right, Jenny McCarthy was was promoting that idea too. That's right. Yeah, and that's when that's when I started hearing moms and stuff around here saying that they weren't going to vaccinate their kids, and I'm like, yeah, boy, I. You know, when I had to vaccinate my two kids, dude, I was scared because <laughs> I'm like, well, what if this is bad? And they're and right. Uh, it, it is. I mean, that's that's crazy, man. It is crazy. But and uh, uh, yeah, anyway. yeah. But all the diseases and stuff that you can get, I mean, those those are definitely real. Right. And they've debunked it, so I've, I I feel confident now that we made the right decision. But right. Or the powers that be um, figure statistically it's better for people not to have the likelihood of getting these extreme flus, especially when they're younger. And some amount of people going autistic is like, well, it's a small price to pay. That's my paranoid spin on things. I don't believe that at all. I'm just throwing this paranoid uh, spin on things. Right. Gotcha. The conspiracy theory statement. Well, I would hope that by the 23rd century that they would have 
found out for sure what, whether this polio vaccine really did cause AIDS or not. So in the 23rd century, not only do we not have a cure for the common cold, but they still don't know what caused AIDS. Right. I guess not. What, Although they what, do say, they do say zinc is very good to fight the common cold. They say that now, or they say that in the 23rd century? They say that now. Oh, okay. They say that now. Zinc. But obviously it gets debunked, because otherwise Dr. Crusher would have known that. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right, because this is our future. I mean, it's our real future. Yeah, this is real, dude. Exactly. This was obviously a sequel to Miri, the the first season episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is not the first time that a sequel to Miri has come to be. Ah. So in 1989, there was a novel by Judy uh, Judy Class uh, called Cry of the Onlys. And in that one, it's basically a uh, stolen Federation ship attacks the the Onlys, the Council of Young Youngers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then so they blame Starfleet and things like that. And, and then somehow this ship ends up about to start a war with the Klingons too so I've never read it and it, to be honest it didn't get very good reviews hmm. but uh, I did think it was uh, I did think it was interesting that 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 Miri episode which I never really liked spawned two expanded universe type sequels hmm. yeah that is odd I mean Wrath of Khan yes definitely we need a sequel for that one Trouble with Tribbles uh... absolutely yeah. Who mourns for Adonis? Definitely. Not so much. Definitely not. Well, we got it. So Funny guy. Funny guy. We got it, so you might as well enjoy it. Yeah, that was one of the stupidest episodes. <laughs> There's a huge hand holding us in space, Jim. Whose is it? It's Adonis, of course. Of course. It could be a genie. <laughs> what is that, next week? Some some point some point in the future we're gonna get that to that gold key gem. Yeah, that's gold key number eleven, I believe. Ah, uh, boy. And it's gonna I'm be looking good. forward to that one. I'm looking forward to that one. Ooh, baby. <laughs> All right. Anything else uh, for Marvel Untold Voyages number three? I have one more thing to say, and I'm gonna shut up. All right. I'm starting to get used to the security guys having these uh, like like football player get ups. Oh yeah. I'm starting. I'm starting to get used to it. When I first saw it in the in the uh, in the motion picture, mm-hmm. I thought it was dumb. I thought it was stupid. I was like, what the heck's going on with that? But now that I've seen so many of these uh, comics in this time period with these security guys with a little bit of padding, it kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, they get killed left and right. You might as well, like, you know, give them a little more protection. Uh, I mean, did, did, didn't the Makos in uh, in Enterprise, Archers Enterprise, didn't they have some kind of special uh, outfit? Yeah, they had a little. Not quite to this extreme, but... No. Yeah. But they, it had some kind of uh, special properties, protective properties or something. And then, of course, in the... Um... Was, which is probably just as useful as Stormtrooper armor. No! <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got blasters and phasers going, and you've got armor on. Okay, I'm sure it's going to help. And, and, um, and then go out with a rock. Stormtrooper armor taken out by rocks. Uh, yes, with little teddy bears wielding them. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Anyway, um, these security guys keep on getting killed off. I mean, it makes sense to do something for them. So I'm just kind of getting used to it. No, I, I, and I like that. Yeah. But right. I just say we that. won't see it for too much longer. No, then they'll be back to their regular uh, 
red shirts are. What, what, what shirt did Next Gen put all the security guys in? Uh, Next Gen had just yellow. Yellow. So Command and uh, the security guys had yellow. Hmm. Okay. Well, no. Or gold, whatever. No, C- Command oh, that's had right. red. Red. It switched to red. Yes, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, okay. at some point after the Enterprise C blows up, they switch it to. Um, they switch the colors on everybody. You know, to, to liven that's things right. up. Exactly. Wow. I mean, they spent so much time in just those burgundy, red burgundy uh, outfits that they thought they'd go back for the pajama look. (laughs) All right, so that was the last thing. I'm going to shut up now. (laughs) All right, um, so let's just go into the elsewheres that was going on this month. This is May of 1998. So we're talking about uh, 98 was when Inception came out, right, or Insurrection. So we're a few months out from the new movie. And all that came out in May was comics and comic uh, and the books. So uh, Spectre, which was a William Shatner novel, came out. And then the X-Men tie-over novel Planet X came out by Michael Jan Friedman. And then the X-Men Next Generation comic book came out, Second Contact. Have you read those yet? I have not. But I, I gave them to you, right? I gave you the. You novel. gave them. You you gave me them to use, yes. But you got it. And I'll get the, I'll get them back to you eventually. Oh no, I bought those for you, dude. That was a gift. Oh, really? It was a gift? Wow, you're the man. <laughs> uh, aside from that, uh, aside from the X Men crossover stuff, we had just the normal Marvel stuff for Next Generation, original series, um, and Voyager and Starfleet Academy. So it was a it was a big heavy comic book month. Cool. And I do remember buying the X-Men crossover stuff the day they came out, knowing that it was Which... going to be gimmicky, but I can't stop myself. <laughs> I got to tell you, some of these crossover things make no sense. So, And that definitely is among them. But um, I do like the X-Men, and I do like Star Trek Next Gen, so who knows? So, Maybe it works out. So speaking of crossover, Ken, and, ah. uh, at the end of our post-Star Trek motion picture... Uh, review Uh, we actually have recently added two more issues so we get an extra episode it'll be episode 41 and it will be the this will never end what's that this will never end oh good the idw infestation crossover oh zombies zombies so wow the zombie apocalypse has spread to the star trek universe Mm -hmm. and the Transformers universe, GI no. universe, and no. Ghostbusters universe. Oh! And coincidentally, it's all going to happen in the uh, post Star Trek the Motion Picture timeline, so it'll fit right into this series that we're doing here. Right. And it's zombies. And how can you not love zombies? Exactly. Naturally, you 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 know what zombies are. What are they? Say, it's the bacon of literature. <laughs> so you're saying you could put zombies in anything and it'll be awesome? Any any literary effort, any any literary pursuit, you can add zombies. It's been proven with Pride and Prejudice. It's now being proven with, uh, with uh, Star Trek and, of course, Transformers. I mean, 
It's just amazing. Now the bacon the, of literature. The uh, the the zombie Star Wars books have actually been pretty good. Oh yes, um, Death Troopers and Death Red Trooper. Harvest. I I haven't I haven't read uh, <laughs> I haven't read the second one, but uh, 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 Death Trooper, yes, and that was pretty good. So I agree with you. Bacon of literature, I like it. <laughs> tasty, tasty, brain-filled bacon. Ooh. All right, but that's a nine episodes away. So next episode, we will be doing Marvel number 11 and comic strip number 12. Cool. So it should be good stuff. Okay. So until then, any final words there, Ken? Um, Just um, take it easy, everybody. I hope you like the episode. Come back next time. I don't know what to say, dude. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. <laughs>